Hello and welcome to Out of Office. My name's Johnny Caldor and this is a podcast where I get to take walks with interesting people in media and find out what makes them tick. This is episode eight, which I recorded with Justin Pierce, who is first and foremost a writer and currently the editor of New Digital Age, after having spent a number of years also editor of New Media Age and soon to be launching E-Commerce Age. In between all that, Justin was heading up branded content at The Drum and Digiday, so he's been writing about media and marketing pretty much his whole career. We took a walk, a COVID-compliant walk that is, around Kelsey Park in Beckenham and talked about trade publishing, about launching new media brands, about the continuing growth and importance of e-commerce to publishers, and about how events are continuing to evolve now that we're getting to grips with what works best in a world where we continue to be doing everything remotely. Uh, Just a little warning in advance that you'll hear a mix of ducks, cars, children, and maybe a certain amount of sniffing in the background on what was a chilly, damp January day in London. But hopefully they'll just add a touch of texture to what was an extremely interesting conversation with Justin. Here we go. Hello. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. So, this is exciting. It's very exciting. Um, it's nice to get out and about again. It's lovely to, get out, lovely to see you, nice to get out and about, very kind of you coming over my way. Obviously sad not to be in Soho, which is our natural stomping ground. I know, so that was the first choice. So tell me, where are we? This is Kelsey Park in the centre of Beckenham, south-east London, which is where I live. And this park is nowadays obviously where I spend most of my time. Yes. With my family, because there's nothing else to do. Interesting times. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk around. You're going to show me some of the hot spots. It's a hot place. (laughs) It's got a lovely lake. It's got squirrels, loads of squirrels. It's got geese, all that sort of stuff that you like. Perfect. And we're going to talk about you and the media and stuff like that. So So the first time I met you, you were working for Bike Gold Global... Yeah, I was, wasn't I? And you were forgotten our PR. Oh, I've forgotten that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was, what, six, maybe seven years maybe ago? seven years ago, yeah. So what have you been up to since? We walk up here on this road, it's very quiet, into the turn to the next, next entrance to the park. OK. So, well, so I thought I'd met you, because I was a journalist for... a uh, working journalist, you know, full-time for about 17-odd years. Yeah. And then I left journalism, because I've been a journalist covering sort of the dot-com boom, really. So seeing all my contacts go off and start up companies and sell multiple times. And, and you could never, at that time, you couldn't really do that as a journalist. So yeah. I wanted to go and do that, do all my, my friends had done, really. So I left journalism, which is great. I went to uh, Byte, which is a fantastic PR agency, with a sort of burgeoning content division. And that's where I went. And then lots of my friends were there. Yeah. My first ever real mentor journalist actually had gone there. Martin Beach, and I thought, well, he, he's there. It's a safe place for journalists. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I went there, spent a couple of years there, which is great. I washed off pure journalism. You know, I walked through a commercial shower out the other side, <laughs> which is really useful. I still, I still always did and do see the world through a journalist lens. But, yes. You know, having done that and become commercial helped me, I think, do everything I do now much better. But you were writing the whole time you've been writing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went, I bite wanted me, because that was my first step outside, outside journalism into, into PR and comms. You know, that's the attraction of them, of me for them. 
Yep. And then, I loved it. It was, it was quite a shock, you know, being on the other side. But then, one of my really good friends, Andy Oakes, who I'm partnered with now, and used to be my publisher when I was editor at New Meteor Age, where I was before uh -huh. Fulbright, he'd gone to the drum uh, as MD. And it was just the time that content marketing was really sort of starting up. Yeah, yeah. As this hot new thing. And I said, went to the drum and said, look, why don't you launch a content marketing agency? And they went, yeah, sounds great. And I went and did that. Right. Which was superb. Uh-huh. Did that for three years, I think. It's quite a noisy stream. Built it up into a big business. Had lots of fun. Worked lots of great clients. Lots of great work. And then DigiDay sort of talked to me about going to DigiDay to launch their content marketing arm, Custom, which was established in the US into the UK. And that was more, I guess that was more commercial still, was it? Yeah, it was all, I mean, all everything I'd done since leaving, leaving NMA, where I was editor, has been, you know, commercial, but all with a journalist lens and creating content that people love. And now you've kind of gone full circle and you're back at being an editor. Yeah, it was funny because I went, I, I'd been at Digiday for literally a month after they'd wasted for my three months of gardening leave. <laughs> yeah. And I went to see Andy over Christmas and said, look, what are you doing now? One day I'll do what you're doing as a launch your own thing. And he said, well, come do it with me now. So I said, oh, okay. Went home, talked to my wife and sort of switched, okay. Then I went to Digiday and Nick, who owns Digiday, he's just, I mean, Digiday's a fantastic, fantastic organisation. Said to Nick, I'm really sorry, I've got to go. And probably go crazy, because I would if I'd been waiting for someone so long. Yes. Left. But he was going, well, look, I'm an entrepreneur. Go for it. Good luck, you know, which is amazing. So then I went and joined Andy and Lynn, Lydia, his wife, who was the, the other partner at the time. I became the third partner in the business, Blue Strike. Oh, at the time, Blue Strike was a, a PR agency with sort of content a bit. I came on to do the content marketing side. But then because cause Andy and I are sort of ex-publishing, he was my publisher at New Media Age, and he was MD at the drum. So thought, let's do some content. Let's launch a podcast or something like that. And then we thought, or oh, we could launch uh, another title. Because what I found fascinating was when I went to Blue Stroke, there's no media. And I knew, I knew that, but having, having sat on the other side, and Lydia, who runs the PR arm of Blue Stroke, PRing our clients' stories into the media, you look around, there isn't much media in our sector. Yep. When I was at uh, New Media Age as editor, there was 30, 40 titles we were up against. You know, it's a flourishing sector. Yeah. And I was quite shocked and I thought, people, people want media. It sounds stupid, but they, people want media. Uh -huh. You know, trade industry media. And I think it makes the industry a richer place with a strong publishing sector. Yes. So we thought, let's launch something. We launched NDA. In total, you know, frankness, it was kind of a sideline. Huge hobby, stretch hobby. From, from new media age to new digital age. Yeah, <laughs> and that, I'll tell you what that was. There's a guy called Alex Tate, who I've loved for ages, uh, a marketer who used to do a lot of stuff at, at new media age. And new media age is a really loved title, you know. When it went away, people really missed it because it was yep. part of the lock on boom and all that sort of stuff. So I had a pipe with Alex, and he said, well, Why don't you launch, <laughs> launch new digital age or something? That's sort of kind of a joke. And we went and did it. And does it have the same sort of feel as New Media Age? Is it a similar sort of product? I mean, yeah, sort of, really. I mean, when... 
we're never going to be, we don't want to be a competitor to the Drummond campaign, etc. who we love and they're our friends and yeah. who our PR team works very closely with. We don't want to be another title like that. We want to be a sort of a new alternative voice for the industry. And what I find fascinating, or every day now, I used to find it crazy at the time, is, well, I was a young journalist and I spent, I say, almost two decades in, in, in publishing as a journalist. You could only launch a title, really, if you're a publisher. That's all you could do. Yeah. Or you could launch something a bit shoddy if you're, a, you know, a commercial, if you're a brand, you know. Yes. Nowadays, Bluestripe is essentially an agency. You know, at the time it was almost a pure PR and content agency. You can nowadays, you can launch a title that can be as credible, produce as great content as a publisher. Yeah. And at the same time, publishers are now, in every sector, but especially in sort of our trade sector, having to do more and more commercial content. Yeah. So the lines are blurring, blurring so far, they're flipping over. Yeah, for sure. So for us, it, it, it works really well in terms of nowadays we are treating, we sit the business, Blue Strike Group, into three parts, the PR agency, the content marketing agency, and the media arm, of which NDA is the first title. Yeah. More to come, I'll tell you about shortly. And, you know, that horrible word, sort of symbiosis, it really works in three parts. Yeah. But well, then you say, you say you want to be different, well, you are different to the drum. I mean, how are you different? How are you not competing with them? Because there's a lot of parallels with what you do. There are, and, you know, it's, we're never going to go after a mass audience. Uh -huh. I, I was at, I worked at Drum, I worked at Digiday, I worked at NMA. And if you're a publisher, generally you're supposed to be advertising, you need a big audience, you need big yeah. numbers. Yeah. Have a, again, that's sort of a, Kind of a fallacy. I mean, the drum is an amazing job I went there and built up. It's this huge, huge beast globally now, you know, and they do an amazing job. But you don't need to get that big. We have an audience of a certain size. We know because just our luckiest, our background, it's a very senior audience. Mm -hmm. You know, we're serving the needs of a certain set of people. We're not serving mass audience. So we'll never, I never want to or be able to compete with the likes of the great charts like the drum, on advertising revenue, we never will. Yeah. And we don't sort of we want to. But our model because <coughs> again we're totally transparent. I used to sit on the council of the IB Content Marketing Council. Uh, I felt quite passionate about it and I still do, that can readers, viewers need to know what they're getting. Yep. So it's not advertising describe just sorry, disguised as content. But it's fine, we can be totally transparent <clears throat> with NDA. We will write about our clients, of course we will. Yes. That's what our income sources, of course we will. And we'll say that, but we'll also write about other stuff we find of interest. And what's the business model? Are they sponsoring your content? Well, the business model is, I mean, essentially the, the PR run, PR yeah. run. You know, we can retain the model with some amazing clients like Tease and Xander. The content marketing arm, similar. You know, we do more project-based, but it's for our clients. And then NDA, we're now doing lots of, I was going to say, the normal stuff, but you know, sponsor content, branded content with our partners, but again, yeah. with, with, with great partners. We do want to create, create great, great content with great partners. You know, we're lucky enough, lucky enough to be able to do that. Yeah. 
And what are the, the other titles you're going to start to launch then in the future? Well, the new one, which we decided on title, I think, about two days ago, I bought the URL. It's going to be e-commerce age. Okay. Again, these are, we, we don't and never will start to employ lots and lots of journalists to pump out content. Uh-huh. That's a business where we frankly can't afford and we don't see that as the future. But we want to create content and connections, importantly, because media lets you do stuff you can't do without. You know, you can get people together, which I always enjoy doing as, as a journalist and you know, working publishing. Yeah. So we want to create stuff that's useful. And e-commerce now, for obvious reasons, is booming. And most people we know, sort of through NDA or just contacts, have moved more in, into that field. And so, you t- are you talking specifically about publishers getting into e-commerce or e-commerce just in general? E-commerce in general, because every, every brand now... Yeah. ..wants a kind of D2C Yeah, and, and is, and is. So that'll be the next title. It, it's e-commerce age, quite similar to you mentioned. And it'll be very analogous to be launched, you know, with NDA alongside. We're still working on, on the plans, but yeah. again, it's content we know that there's demand for. And yet again, as I keep sort of saying, we're <clears> definitely not going out to go after established trade cycles. You know, we want to do stuff a bit differently. We know we can't. And we, we don't think there's any sort of real need for that. Who I, I can't think of a trade title that would compete with e-commerce age. Yeah, that's the thing. There's not too many, which is weird. It's internet retailing. Retail Week, which is obviously one of the sort of so, gold yeah. standards in trade publishing. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, they do cover it, but there's never been really, over my sort of couple of decades in this industry, lots of focus on it. But maybe that's because in 20 years ago, it was, it was IT, you know, and then, then it became... Those are very sexy. Yeah. Then it became the dot-com explosion. It's only in the last sort of, you know, 10 years that it's become such an important part of any brands. So, okay, so a question for you on that. We did um, our little annual State of the Digital Publishing Market report back in November. And actually, the, the Reuters Institute published theirs as well, didn't they, a few days ago? Uh, of course, yeah. And we found, and they made a big point of it as well, is that publishers really do, like, the next... So, big thing on their minds last year, and for sure this year too, is either subscriber acquisition or retention, depending on where they are in their journey. Next big thing, e-commerce, which we're just now starting to see with our customers. I mean, is that... Which is why I asked the question before. Are you seeing (coughs) publishers getting into e-commerce right now? Do you think it's an, an interesting route for them, an interesting new I think it's what happening because diversifying the revenue sources, obviously that's the biggest challenge for any publisher, as they're all doing so well. You know, if you look at all the, I'd say especially in the States, the publishers, like BuzzFeed's an obvious <coughs> source, like for example, but they've got so many sub-brands that essentially yeah. a lot of them are e-commerce businesses. Yeah, know? yeah. So again, it's this complete blurring of all the lines. It kind of works, it's, it's, it's an easier fit for someone like BuzzFeed though, right? Because so much of their journalism was around products yeah. and stuff like that. Products. So it, But if you come back to kind of more traditional journalism, news media or, or consumer magazine, well, I guess consumer magazines too, but I just wonder how that's going to evolve over the next 12 months because it feels like, from our perspective, we've got projects just kind of getting momentum now which are far more focused on e-commerce. Well, it's, I think it's all about trust and people trust the media. 
they just, you know, you trust me, you like editors to edit your life, you know. So that's why if I want to buy a new microwave, which I'm buying at the moment, I'll, I'll go straight away and look online at, you know, all the different publications, good housekeepers. But, but do you, but that's interesting, right? Do you do that or do you just yeah, Google? Yeah, I, I do. You I don't do. just Google yeah. microwave and then pick? Well, I'll Google it, then I'll go to the publishers right. that come up, you know. Yeah, do, yeah. Again, because I've, you know, that's, I've got that sort of view on the world. But yes, yeah. People trust, trust publishers, so. They do. If you go and buy something, don't buy for your publisher. I think I know a company called Skimlinks. Yes, a I while know those back, guys. Yes. Alicia, who did amazingly well by just putting, you know, basically affiliate links in yep. publishers. Yeah. They did it really, really well, and the publisher got some money, and then so did the the company send the goods, and it's it just works because again, people, I'd rather buy something that was had a great review in What High Fan magazine or, you know, Gardeners Weekly or whatever I'm buying from. Yeah. You know? yeah. So of course. Publishers should be adding e-commerce. I mean, and also it doesn't work really because it's B two B. It's quite it's quite different. But yeah, it's funny, you know, because we um, really early on, we we tried to tackle e-commerce from two directions. One was helping people like um, John Lewis publish, and then you know, so so more kind of content marketing for retail. And the other was, the other way around, was putting kind of shoppable elements into our app. So, for example, with Grazia, we had this whole shoppable thing where you could tap something, you could see the product, you could add it to a wish list, you could then link out to the, to the third-party site, retailer, whoever. And it just didn't work. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering, for me, the content marketing bit made sense why that wasn't working. You know, if John Lewis produced a magazine four times a year... That's fine to stick it in your point of sale, but to expect people to download that and consume it, I think, oh, is a bit yeah. of a stretch. So that one kind of made sense to me. But the other one, I wonder what, what are we going to do differently to make e-commerce work really well for publishers that we didn't do last time around? I mean, the technology is more and more seamless now, isn't it? You've got Instagram launching shop in, in shopping. Yeah. Every platform's launching in, in shopping technologies that are going to quite seamless to the end consumer. That's all that, all that matters. Yeah. I do think it is all that trust, and publishers have the highest level of trust. Mm-hmm. You know, it's totally separate matter. We're seeing everything happen with the third-party cookies demise, and you know, potentially, the whole move away from that puts the power back on publishers' hands because they they now own the data. And for the last, you know, since started programmatic, they've been pushed, pushed, and pushed down, and they haven't got a title. They've got some people that have been bought to where they are across the internet. You know? yeah. So, trust, I think, will always be. Super important. Yeah. And there's nothing you can trust more than you're buying, really, you know. That's why, look, I'm making good housekeeping, sort of jokingly, because the Good Housekeeping Institute's near our old office. But Good Housekeeping Institute, that stamp approval, yes. which those titles, they do so well, yeah. because yeah. you go there, I can rely on it. You know, you know which isn't bought, it's to be tested, tried and tested. And, you know. But they also, I mean, which put a lot of, um, a lot of emphasis on the fact that they're not getting into bed with the people who they're, they're reviewing and therefore there's a complete, you know, there's, a, there's that, that, that separation of the commercial side and the editorial side to the extent that you have to trust which they really don't have an extra. I suppose that's a bit of an outlier. It's just yeah. an example about trust. But a few titles now you go on to and read reviews so that haven't got some sort of affiliate links, either sort of explicitly yes. stated or just there. And... That's because you go to those pages 
to get the expert reviews. Yeah. And it's yeah. easier to buy a bike there. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, it's funny, really crap example, but I was... Um, I, I broke my, my shaver um, just, I don't know, but like two months before Christmas. And so I did the Google search for beard trimmers. I went to Men's Health, which I trust, which is one of the fairly high up um, search results, which had an article about, you know, best beard trimmers, whatever. And there was this one in particular that won the prize, right? It was the number one ranked. And clearly this thing had done very well through SEO. So a lot of people were reading yeah. this article. Went to Amazon, sold out. Boots, sold out. The mm. thing is, and it's still to this day sold out. And you have to, you have to believe that's the power of po- possibly even that one article which drove everybody there. Yeah. All, the other, all the other models, there's loads of them. They're all on sale. This one was on sale. It's now full price and unavailable. So, well, yes, I, I do you think trust, trust, trust is not all publishers have. That's what, that's what publishers are, trust. I do think much in Amazon, my, lots of people I know now are doing Amazon commerce and one of my very good friends now is saying through Amazon and the, the battles you've got to overcome, you know, with fraud, yeah. not on the platform, but from your competitors, right. give, you know, bring bad reviews and all that sort of stuff. That's yeah. the opposite of trust. And now people are really waking up to that, I think. You know? My wife now, who, you know, doesn't really care about e-commerce at all, it's like buying things, she's now aware that, could you, can't you trust Amazon? You know, I'm, I've been around long enough so I can filter out the obviously dodgy reviews. Yeah. She, yeah. she can't, so it goes away from it. But if someone, a publisher she loves, she can trust them, and there won't be any of that sort of shady head going. Yeah. So you've been, is it fair to say you've been, you've been a trade journalist pretty much yeah. your whole time? And yeah. I've, I've got to say, look, from where I sit, the B2B press has been the hardest hit by what's happened over the last yeah. 10 years. I mean, what, where do you see the trade press going? It's interesting because it has been, you know, so many great titles have been closed down over the years yeah. and disappeared. I, I do think, you know, that, for instance, when I worked at New Media Age, which, which I love, owned by Centaur, great, great publisher, that in recent years has made some really clever acquisitions, uh-huh. really sort of digitally focused acquisitions that while I was there, which is you know, gone 20 years ago, wouldn't have happened. You know, Centaur at that time was kind of a lumbering beast of publishing. Mm-hmm. In the 60s, it still acted like it, it was the 60s. And I think beating publishers just, again, it's, it's not a very startling revelation, but it didn't move fast enough at all. You know, Centaur at the time, just before I left NMA, it bought E-Consultancy. Anyway, Ashley. Yep. It was a massive buy. Uh, <laughs> and then shortly afterwards, kind of shut down at New Media Age. It was sort of crazy. Now, you never think about doing that. You know, the, you know. But at the time, they didn't really... It's a great publisher, but they didn't really understand this new world into which they were moving. You know? yep. Yep. That's definitely not true now. At all. But I think... So if you look at Haymarket now campaign, and you know it's definitely digital in the drum. They're really moving fast to totally innovate and become different, different sorts of company. And the drum isn't a trade cycle. The drum's a you know global media platform doing everything. So it's campaigns, so it's digital. So that's only happened in the last, in reality, few years. Yeah. You know, so that change will continue to speed up and. Talks about e-commerce and that sort of thing. While trade titles can't really do the same as consumer in helping sell shavers, there's lots of ways in the commerce that they can move into as they're doing through content marketing. So I do think that B2B had a really 
tough time. The internet sort of came along and killed it. Yeah. The internet came along and killed New Media Age, you know, which wrote about the internet, really. But that, that was, was quite a long time ago now, and I think things are, things change, work starts to change, and now they're changing fast. So you clearly hold Digiday drum up as kind of beacons of light. Yeah, I, mean, I worked at both, so I obviously would. I mean, campaign, yeah. I think, campaign, you, you got campaigns, it is one of the gold standards. Uh, the sad thing is there's not many around anymore. You know, there were, there were so many types that got killed off by publishers that couldn't support them for you know, various different reasons. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think, think that would happen today. Because it, it takes time to build a brand, it takes time to build an audience, and it's a shame that those, all those titles disappeared. So what's on, so on, as an editor right now, and we're at the beginning of the year, you know, what, what's on your mind? What do you care most about doing in the next year? Well, building out the media side of Blue Strike Group, obviously, because yeah. this second cycle of Comics Age will be our, our, our next move. And NDA itself, as I said before, it's, it started as a sideline. It's a sort of, not a hobby, but something we should do. So we did it, and it just grew into something we have to take notice of. But, so then this next year is, you know, helping the structure of Blue Strike Group, which includes an amazing PR arm, content marketing arm, a media arm, work even closer together. Uh-huh. I mean, for the, when we first launched NDA, I purposely kept our clients away from it, totally away from it. And I realised well, I'm getting, you know, hundreds of emails a day from PR agencies trying to get their clients in. <laughs> Why are we keeping yours out, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's getting the structure right. We, we have got, you know, it's just getting that we're into operation. And, 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 but what's success? Is it subscriber numbers, readership? Definitely engagement, en- engagement really, success? engagement, because, I mean, we cover a particular sector, you know, digital media and marketing. Yeah. I wouldn't say I know everyone, but I know everyone, you know, by seven good separation, really, you know, it's yeah. a small sector to know people. Again, luck by luck, you know, because Annie and I have been around a very long time and know people. Uh, our subscriber base is, is solid. We want, we want to grow that, obviously. We never want to grow it into a, we don't really, we really want lots of student readership, we don't really want lots of, you know. Right. Uh, so success is getting far more engagement from those, from our, our law region. When we started, Andy said we should describe it as a private members club sort of thing, you know. Okay. You want to be part of. And yep. we would go out and talk to people and go, oh yeah, I'm, I love this, I'm seeing all my friends in it, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the thing, I think it's. But then what, what, how do you measure engagement? What's the... What are the metrics you use? That's a really interesting point. I mean, like all sort of publishing companies, measurement's always a, a bugbear for us, us especially, so we're, so we're sort of young. Yeah. I mean, I can extrapolate from our Twitter followers the sort of audience we have. Have we done that scientifically? No. Do we know who's reading us? Yes. So I guess it's, it's the sort of people that are reading us and are being engaged with us and get involved if we do events or research or I see. round tables. And then, okay, so if, we, if you're talking about a private members club, they're almost always paid. Do you ever think about paid subscriptions or is that just not the model you're interested we in? We did, you know, when we started. Again, this grew so organically, the conversations happened equally organically and we thought about it, but at the moment, no, maybe for the future, but there's definitely a place for, in our sector, paid journalism, obviously. 
DigiDay's sort of subscription wall sales are on, so that's campaign, that's important. Uh, there's, there's newsletters now being, being launched that you pay to receive, so it's definitely a place for it. It's just yeah. that our model is different, and our model is the fact that Blue Shark Group yes. has PR agency, and a content agency, and a media arm. Yeah. And, it, and the three things work in this beautiful, beautiful sort of concert. So, so just to be completely clear, the publishing side, the media side, doesn't actually need to be profitable because it's it's doing a service to the rest of the business. Is that... Exactly that. Although that's changed very quickly, that's how we <laughs> thought about it, and that's how in fact it worked. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That's that's changed very quickly, and now it is in fact a proper part of the business and growing. Okay, good. Because I was going to say that's a very lucky position to be in yeah, to be able course. to publish without necessarily looking at the no, numbers. No, I mean that's that's we're seeing the sort of the balance between the. Uh, the balance between the revenue coming from three parts of the business change yeah. and NDA sort of grow and grow and get to other parts and that will continue to be the case but it's the it's the ability to make all three parts work together that's I, I think it's, I always liked you know when I was uh, back in the sort of the, the dot com days first and I was a news journalist like sort of first and I do think that we're the first in our sector to do this right. I think it's someone else doing this and then it just, it just kind of works you know I love the NDA thing. Did you think about that when you called it New Digital Age? Was it like, hey, that's NDA, that sounds pretty cool? Well, it, as I say, you know, it was sort of a nod to, to, to New Media Age, the way Ali and I worked, and we knew yeah. most of our contacts. But I sort think of it's, love. Uh, but, it gives a sense of secrecy or yeah, being NDA, in, on the inside, we, right? We, I put quite hand on heart, I didn't think about that at all, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it works really well. So what's the next age then? Probably After TV. E because oh. again, this is a sector. T I mean, t way back when I was in the media age, you know, when that's when TV was. At that time, my wife, then girlfriend, worked in TV, mm -hmm. and this internet stuff. She didn't. It's dirty. She didn't want to talk about it really. And, okay, okay. But you know, it's going to change the world. It's going to change everything. It's going to change TV. She said, oh, go away. Uh, and now it really has. And again, only recently, only recently, you know, broadcast magazine, another great, great trade title. It wouldn't write about anything. anything Digital or online see. for a long time. Because right. then, why would you? Their audience was traditional TV. They don't yeah. hear about this new stuff. Yeah. Anyway, so the change has happened still slowly, but it's happening fast now. So we do think that's another really great sector for us to, to play in. There are lots of great titles there, but there's room for more because it's growing so fast and it's been driven by the same things that drove digital, which is people and innovation and technology. I mean, you've done this a few times now in various forms, i.e., you know, kicking off new enterprises, new businesses, new publishing businesses. And, you know, we still talk to a lot of people who are, who have a new idea, a new business, a new product that they want to launch. What would you, what would you, what would you advise, advise, sorry, right now, if someone has an idea for a new title, a new publication? What should they be doing? What should they be thinking about? I think it's again, it's again about the, the reason NDAs worked and perhaps we're going to keep working is be really because Andy and I have been in this particular industry for, for a very long time and love it. And I've done things within it that have really helped the industry grow. So finding something that you really like, you really love, that you're yeah. part of, I think. Yeah. There's, there's parts of the digital marketing media industry, it's, it's huge, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the concrete industry or the aviation industry, but it's massive. And there's parts in that that are big enough. And, themselves to deserve their own titles, as many do, you know. Look at app, apps, just app, mobile apps themselves, that's a 
Holt's whole ecosystem. You know? yeah, yeah. So find an area that's not as well served as it should be and make sure you, you know enough about it and crucially you know enough people within it. Yeah, well, I guess particularly for a B2B title, it's all about your network, isn't it? Yeah, B2B's all about people. And what's your relationship with the, uh, with the platforms? It's a question we always ask, it seems, but, you know, everyone's got their own view. I'm guessing for B2B, it's a, it's a different thing altogether as well for you. So your relationship with Twitter, for example, your relationship yeah. with... Yeah, where we get? Oh, God. All right, we've ended up... Back to the back in the park. Completed. You can walk down there a bit, but it's, it's naughty yeah. roads. No, but, like, I guess Twitter I'm interested in, but also something like Apple News, which is an odd one. Is that something you can take advantage of? Well, let's start with Twitter. I mean, Twitter, we... Again, interestingly enough, you know, Twitter, we've known people there for a long time. Bruce has just, just stepped down as the boss of Twitter, been in contact forever. Uh, Twitter we use as a distribution and promotion medium, and it's amazing. And yeah. uh, all these things are skewed by the fact for us we're a B2B trade title in a particular yeah. sector. Yeah, yeah. We know our audience lives on LinkedIn and Twitter, you know. So we, we have to be there. That's uh, interesting. Tell me about LinkedIn then, because I think a lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> have an aversion to it. We find it extremely useful, actually, as a, as a marketing channel. So how do you use it? You have to sort of be there. You know, yes, it's become flooded now by, you know, this awful content. Yeah. Uh, yes, your inbox can be flooded by these horrible sales pitches. But also, it's, it's still where, to use that, if you said thought leadership, it's flooded with it. Yep. And everyone's there. You know, in the old days, I saw someone on Twitter the other day talking about business cards. And I used to have business card holders that I used to keep. You know, I found them. They got amazing, like Lycos and all this really old company. You've totally forgotten. Yeah. Alta Vista. But that's how I ruled my life, by business cards. Whereas nowadays, yeah. I haven't got address books, really. It's all on LinkedIn because since someone moves, yep. you know they are. Yeah. So I think it's, it's unavoidable, everyone's on it. And it's the easiest self-publishing platform there is, you know. You can type, 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 bang, and you publish an article. And generally, the article, if you know enough, in North Connections, are probably quite well read. Yeah, yeah. Have you tried advertising on LinkedIn? Yeah, we have. We, we do bits here or there. Does uh, it work for you? Yes and no. Yeah, we find it really tricky, actually. We've had almost no take up on LinkedIn ads. I think maybe we're just getting the creative wrong. I mean, what, what, what's the trick? I mean, we've actually launched on the, on the PR side of the business, we've just launched a new offering for, for LinkedIn marketing in the last few weeks. You know, yeah. it's, it's all about, again, it's about focusing on, on, on people, not the company, you know. So on LinkedIn, people care about you, Johnny, rather than Caldor. So it's only you're producing interesting stuff regularly and, you know, feeding your network, which I'm sure is pretty valuable to you, yeah. that, that works, you know. Yeah. Advertising, as you know, just doing doesn't work, but producing useful stuff just does. And for LinkedIn, I know everyone has a bad, a bad word to say about it, and it can be a nightmare to navigate, etc., and it's clogged up, but it's still full of amazing stuff. And it's still, you read some articles, and they just do get amazing, really engaging, authoritative responses and yeah. interactions and comments. So it's, it's still a great platform, I think. But that's but I, I see that from a content standpoint. But I'm I'm thinking more about LinkedIn ads, like literally the the display ad yeah. side of it. I mean, I don't like to say a bad word about ad formats, and some can work really well. Some have worked for us well. 
we uh-huh. don't tend to use that sort of advertising. Yeah. You know? yeah. If we're on a recruitment push, which you always are for the PR side of the business, we'll use LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Uh, they can work. You know, with clever targeting. The good thing about LinkedIn is the targeting is incredible. Yes. Yeah, the targeting is amazing. So as long as you can do that targeting well, that's not my sort of core skill. It works. But as a platform, just to, to you know build your brand and keep that brand strong, it's sort of unrivaled, I think. Yeah, we found it very powerful. Much, much more so than Twitter. Although that's because my Twitter following is <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> my LinkedIn following is slightly better. Well, Twitter, we, Twitter, we find again, it's it's sort of just part of our lives naturally, always has been. Yes. So of course, India has India has to be there. Um, again, we find Twitter very very useful in terms of getting back. There's lots of Twitter groups nowadays that have been set up in the, since the pandemic, you know, to help people find jobs and that sort of thing. And the, the outpouring of sort of good that platform's doing via those groups is amazing to see. Yeah. And again, that ties in very closely to our ethos and belief at NDA, you know, to use these tools to, to, to do good. So beyond being just a great, you know, promotion mechanism for, for sites content, yeah. it's actually a great ecosystem to be part of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so so like I was mentioning before, we uh, we did this publishing digital publishing report. It was really interesting because we got to chat with about forty people from across okay. news media yeah. and consumer magazines. So people like the Wall Street Journal and Bauer and News UK, and just talk about what what was on their mind. Um, and then we kind of collated it all into this report. But but one of the questions I really enjoyed was um, if you could click your fingers and change absolutely anything, no friction at all, you could change anything in the industry right now, what would you change? And what's so what the answer? You, well, so the, the, the two that really, that I loved, and I'm going to get this wrong, because I won't be able to quote it verbatim, but one was, I'd go back 10 years, and I would, if you like, um, change the way people think about content and change the way people are chasing scale for the sake of scale and really push people to think about the quality of content and try to build a business around that, which seems very obvious now, but it wasn't obvious 10 no. years ago. And it's no, not what people no, no. were doing. So that was one. And the other, which was more of a kind of vain hope, which was to reduce the power of the platforms and, you know, the way that as they make their unilateral decisions that have huge impact on the industry. So those are the two kind of the big themes that came out. I mean, lots of other stuff, but they were the big ones. Again, the the power of platforms is is less of of an impact for us. Uh, Start here one second. Sorry, I've got my legs killing me. Uh, Editorially as it is to to our readership. So we write a lot about the impact of the platforms, you know, that sort of not lot what we do, but uh, in terms of content and not chasing scale, I think that's that's sort of what we do with NDA really. And I think that's the most important thing. It's again looking back to when I worked in, in trade titles, you know, it was all about scale. Yeah. And then if you dug down a bit, uh, a lot of the audience was kind of pointless, without being mean at all, you know, to yeah. the people that were paying for it, the advertisers. Yes. And that's the when I moved away from being a a pure journalist audience, I, I wrote for a magazine, audience, to sort of go out do branded content and do what I'm doing now that's always got commercial awareness of it, you realise, well, the people paying for this are often 
sort of the advertisers. And the advertisers, well, they always want scale. And big numbers sound great and, you know, they want to see that. But if they're the wrong people, there's no point. Yeah. And when I was doing, when I was working at the drum, I ran the brand concert on there, you know, you realise when you, we were doing things like events or uh, content downloads or whatever, you know, you wanted the right people. And because I'd been around long enough, I knew that that means that those people aren't any use, <laughs> you know. So if we're creating something for this, for our client, let's create amazing content that the right people are going to love. And yeah. that's all that matters. That's yeah. all that matters. Yeah. Nothing else matters. You know what I mean? Oh, and that's just definitely something that I didn't think when I was a journalist. You know, I, I don't think people thought in publishing because we've got big numbers. Who cares? Look how many people I've got, you know? And it, yeah, and it, exactly. and it often works. I think advertisers now are getting smarter. They don't, they realise that. Especially in our sector, if you're selling a, you're selling a programmatic platform, you need one person. You know, to do a nice deal for a few years, and that's it. Yeah. You know, you're not selling chocolate bars. You, you know, you know. So it's just, they're getting to realise now they want the right people. Sure. Reading the title in the room, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which goes back to that point of exactly, it's exactly. quality, quality content, exactly. quality audience. So if you could change anything, what would you change? Uh, I've changed, I didn't leave real journalism sooner. <laughs> but, but just for that reason, that the fact is, at that time, the dot-com boom, which was, you know, everyone was launching something. Everyone's launching, I've, I've just launched a, a new app for dogs, and it's going to change the world, and everyone's doing stuff. And, you know, I thought at the time you couldn't do that as a journalist. I don't think it was as easy to do so, but I probably would have left earlier and actually done my own thing earlier. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, a little switching um, topic. I want to ask you a bit about events because you were at DigiDay where events is yeah. pretty much the kind of... Yeah, bread and butter. The bread and butter. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing around events or what do you plan to do around events? Well, I mean, I've always loved events, obsessed by events. And they've, again, all been part of my life. I remember when I was back, when I was uh, the editor of New Media Age, you know, I'd always say I might do events and I'd sort of now introduce them or something. I'd say I treat these events as serious as I treat the page of the magazine. You know, there is an extension of the, the title to me, you know. So events yeah. are always been part of my world and I think they're, they're so important. And the last, you know, it's about a year, so the last year has been, been strange. And I'll tell you what's been really weird is how some events have just really worked online. Madfest, uh, they're a big partner of ours. They produce some of the best events around, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, we've done lots of events. I don't with, know them, so what do they do? Madfest, they're set, essentially, it's Dan Ian who founded it. They're a conference company. They're ex-ad tech conferences and stuff. And they wanted to do something different. Yeah. And essentially, it's very much... We want to do it with NDA, create something that does the same job as we could, but do it a bit differently. So they create something called Madfest, and they run these huge events in Brick Lane. Uh, the basic fundamentals, the mentors, the same as everyone else. Brands talking about great stuff and lots of networking, but done very differently. Hey, we did. We we got partnership with them because we love them. Yeah. They like us, hopefully, and it works really well. And we did an event with them at the start of lockdown, say in March, I think it was or March, May, June, well, and it was called the 99 Club Virtual Festival. We'd launched the 99 Club already in the real world, and then we did it online. We did it for a week. We went to the office, which was just quite weird because it was still pretty dark and locked down then, and we did a whole week of events every day, lots of talks and fun interactive stuff. And oh, was, when was this? That was back in 
I think I think it was March, April, May, June. Right. And it's getting a bit fuzzy time-wise this year. But so it, it was all virtual. It all was... virtual. It worked. You know, I, you know, hand on heart was going, would it still work? You know, I like the real world. I like people. I like being out. But yeah. it works. You know, we've got a big audience and it really works. They did something again recently where I went and uh, helped out at uh, Smart and Sorrel. They hired a TV studio in Elstree and filmed it there. Yeah. It's virtual. That worked. So people are doing really clever things. But I think that I think there's something there. I think production values are so important. Totally, yes. The, one we, the first one we did, going to our office, it was pretty good, but it was quite a different level from doing it at a studio now. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think events... Now, we do hundreds of events. I mean, that's not a joke, the number of events we do. Uh, with NDA and Blue Stroke Group and lots of round tables and that sort of stuff. What's interesting about those sort of events, and that's, again, back to getting the right people in the virtual rooms that were, is that you know, I've done these all my career and you go to the Ivy and have a table full of great people and have a great conversation and yeah. then people start talking amongst themselves and drifting off and virtually everyone behaves, you know, you get a much better sort of output sometimes. So that's interesting, you can get a better output from virtual events, you know. Maybe the actual enjoyment of the engagement isn't the same, of course not, you're not seeing that someone in a restaurant. And, yeah. But the output is the levels of debate. And do is you see? Better. So, so I guess my question is like the opposite of that. So, how do we, how do we, or how do publishers and people putting on events just get beyond this kind of Zoom thing, which is clear, clearly there's fatigue around that now because you know we did roundtables or masterclasses last April and we were getting hundreds of people. I think if we put exactly the same thing on now, we might get fifty. Yeah. Because I think people are just a little bit bored of the format. So what can we do now? I think what this is going to change is that virtual events... Which, but remember, before, the, before this horrible year, virtual events were appalling. Yes. Appalling. Didn't work. You don't look at them. You know, you go to a conference and there's this TV screen showing one of the stages. And even that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. now everyone's got sober. The tech's got... It's better. better. It's never going to be amazing. I would amazing, say it's quite right. Yet, but it means though. that events will, I think, become much more hybrid and hybrid... The virtual bit will work better. Yeah. But I think you hit the nail on the head right at the start with the, whole, with the idea of using a studio because I think the source content yeah. has to be really, yeah. really good. So we, I did this... Um, uh, I did a talk as part of the FIP conference. Oh, yeah. And they did a bit of a mix, actually. So they hired out a theatre in um, Henley and they set up a, a proper oh, nice. stage and they had cameras and stuff like that. And so some of the... Some of the presentations and some of the sessions were held in the theatre and broadcast, and some were just done as normal Zooms. And I think the, the theatre just added that extra little... Mm. ..je ne sais quoi, that made the whole thing just feel a little bit more real. I wonder how we can get access to better um, setups with regards to the, 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 the content, that, the original mm. content that's being shared as part of the event. And then, of course, of course, people need to just be able to... I, you're, you're right, it has to be. Awesome. That mad fest event I did, there's another one similar coming up in March, you know, it's filmed in the studio. It just worked. Yeah. It was just nicer. Yeah. You had, had TV cameras filming you, you had a crew, and you had a, you know... Yeah. It, so, it's and, just and, better. And the cost of that is still minute compared to hiring out It is what it was, days. But, but it's... It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It was, you know... So a lot what, of money, but minuscule in comparison. So what will you do, do you think, this year, or what are you planning already to do this year for, 
for your titles. So more on the kind of media publishing side of the business. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep doing virtual events. As I say, they, they just really work. A lot of our, as we're doing more and more sort of partner commercial content on NDA for clients, you know, yeah. uh, one of the most important things in our market is, as I said, for the right people and building connections. You can do that through virtual events. Yes. So we'll keep doing lots of those. Uh, we'll keep... Actually, can I ask you about that? Of course. Because so, okay. that's the bit about events... And particularly in the B2B world, which is so powerful, is the networking, the meetings, yeah. serendipity, all that sort of stuff, which people have been banging on about all year. How are you tackling that? How are you getting customers together? How are you creating those connections? Well, I think it's as sim events? simple as I say. It's, it's you know, a round table, which always sounds like the most old-fashioned thing, but uh -huh. it's getting great people together to talk about really fascinating stuff. That's but, it. And so that's how, always going to happen. So how do you do So lots of different formats around tables. Do you literally just have 10 people yep. around the table and they are the audience as well? Or do you have 10 people around the table plus an audience? We or? do just have some audience, uh, some audience events. Yep. Generally, back to our whole ethos, and you know, it's about quality of the, of the people experience and that doesn't need big audiences. Yep. If we put, we put, we've done a few events. We did a great event, actually, sort of journalists, which is... Uh, all the digital journalists in our sector round the table, which is fast there yep. throughout the sector. But and what's the biggest but, but broadcast group events, round a table? Broadcast events, you know, if we got 500 people tuning in... Oh, sorry. Most no, but of them we don't care about. But in a round table, oh, a round table how okay. many people round the table to balance having a good enough conversation but not too many voices? Back in the old real-world days, I always say maximum of eight to get the good conversation going. But yep. that was, as I say, when it was... My job was to make sure people stayed on track and didn't talk amongst themselves, you know. Yeah. On Zoom, it's far easier because people can't really do that. So we do them sort of up to about 10, and that works, works really well. Okay. You know, it's, again, it's all the right people, right topic. We do pre-briefing calls, so everyone's totally aware what they're talking about. And yeah. They've been, I mean, hand on heart, fantastic. I've loved, yeah. I've, I've loved them. I've always loved doing that sort of thing. And they're yeah, having I, really like, good. I like the round table. So and something we've been doing... For about a year now, but we're going we're gonna to really do more of it this year, I think, is we, we partner with a company called Manifesto, who are a uh, yeah, uh, kind of growth strategic yeah. consulting company, uh, and in digital, who are more on the kind of um, uh, insight and analytics and, and, and so on. And um, so the three of us have grouped together. We've got this thing called The Collective. And we did masterclasses last year. And we've done a couple of roundtables over Christmas. And now, I think for us, it feels like there are three types of virtual event. There's the masterclass, which is maybe one of us talking to yeah. one or two experts in a kind of a presentation chat mm -hmm. style and just the audience listening in and asking questions. Then we've got another one, which we haven't done yet, but I really i am looking forward to doing it, which is more of a Q&A, which is you pick one very big name and it's a one-on-one -on -one interview with an audience... And then the third is the round table, which is 10 people around the table, um, all, all being able to contribute, but it's a, it's a, it's a, quite, you know, it's a smaller group. Uh, okay. They feel safe talking about whatever they like. And, and I like that idea of those three different tiers of, yeah, um, of event with different size audiences and different purposes for us. So that's, that's kind of our... That's our goal for the next six months or next year or so. No, I do like that idea. I think it's, you know, we will do 
for us at NDA, smaller events, it will be an interview with someone yeah. the great and the good. And that, you yeah. know, that will be more broadcasting. That, that's not, not live, but that will be, you know, for a podcast or something. So that's that sort of event. Whereas around tables, you know, if it's, although we do do them just editorially, you know, there's no reason other than we're doing this because it's great content. Uh, we can do them with clients who will want to talk to certain, certain yeah, parts of the market. Yeah. So we'll get the right people together, which and that's something I always enjoy doing because if you're, you can sit back and look at a, a, a room or, or a screen, say now, and you've got these 10 amazing people. It's a real joy and quite an honour. Yeah. And then thinking, that person there on the left of the screen, I bet she's so glad she's here with that person on the right, you know. Yeah. And then, if they go on to do sort of strike deals and that sort of stuff, which happens, yes. that's a great feeling. You know? Yes, absolutely. So given that you're a content marketing expert, I'm, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on... Well, let's say you, you do a podcast and it's an interview-style podcast. Do you then... Do you repurpose that content? Do you create a kind of... Uh, a written interview version of that? Do you create other bits of content off that? Or is a podcast, as far as you're concerned, that's, that's it? sits on its own and you don't kind of... We do. I mean, we do. I always think any sort of bit of content, which, you know, again, my old journalist soul privilege to think of that, describe that way, but, you know, should be recut in as many ways as possible, not yeah. just to, to add to value to the client, but to the audience who, you know, we know, we talked earlier about Twitter and LinkedIn, what you want to consume... And this platform is very different yeah. to what you consume on the pages of NDA, you know. Yeah. So producing content that's fit for the right, the right medium is really important. Um, but more important than just than that, one of the things that we always sort of love doing, I think quite successful about it, is talked about events, talked about content and video, is do something across all those different forms of media. Yeah. And if you're doing an event, like a round table, that creates amazing amounts of great content as well as the connections that you're sort of... Yes, right. Yes. So that, therefore, can create future content. Would that be, if you've got these amazing people, why aren't you doing Q&A interviews with, with all those individual people, as well as the overall write-up, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, why aren't you doing... If you do an event in the real world, we'd always do sort of video vox spots with, with our panellists' events, that sort of thing. You know, so it's just creating a raft of content formats off the one thing, maybe yeah. at an event or an interview or whatever. Yeah. So when you do, if you do a ten-person roundtable, do you do you also write an article yes. which talks about what you discuss? In yes, the always, always. Yeah. And that's that's the point of you know, it's not a broadcast event. It's closed door. We always say, if you want to make a point, but you don't want to appear in press, say it's off the record. We respect that, and yeah. we always done that, and always will, you know, because if you're discussing something, you know, you want to talk about your client. That's, that's proved your point. Mm. You can't do that on stage in front of an event. You can do it. We, and people trust us, you know, we will never betray confidences. So that's, you get genuine discussion and genuine sort of horror word coming here, insight coming out of these things, that, you know, you can, you can uh, if it's closed door, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we need to do better with that. Because it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? It does take a lot of effort. <laughs> I, we, you know, we discussed, this, we discussed this, this morning, actually, about roundtables and our plans for next year, because they have such value such value, I think, to all parts involved, to the client of this one, to the readers, etc., yeah. and to us as a title. Yeah. But they're a lot of work. Yes. But they're a lot of work that's actually... So if you get a round table and there's 10 people, now getting those 10 people involved, uh, each of those is, is great to be involved with us just generally, you know? So, yes, yeah. they're at this amazing round table, but also, oh, can you interview you? And also, this event a couple of months time, yeah. or, yeah. you know? So it's always... Everything we've done has been part, it's been part of you know, building a community 
That's why N Media Race works so well, so NDA works so well, Blue yes. Shop does the same sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Build the right community and create something of value for them. Mm. And it keeps working, working, working. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. No, I, well, I think that's a perfect, that's a perfect thought to end on. Because look, we've done two laps of the park. Have we done two and a half? I don't even. We did even almost now. three. <laughs> we did the we did the lake, did the birds. Well, no, but thank you so much. That was a really good chat. Enjoyed it. It's fantastic. Great, amazing to see. And there you have it. Uh, thanks again, Justin. It was really fun um, walking with you, and I hope you listening found it useful. Um, I suspect we're going to have a short hiatus now because at least in the UK, we're pretty much housebound for at least the next few weeks. And I think this podcast works so much better when we're talking face-to-face. -face. Uh, but I do hope to be back soonish with more walks and more chats for you. And if in the meantime there's someone you'd like me to talk to, or if you have any feedback at all, please do just give me a shout. I'd love to hear from you. <laughs>